all day. On the 13th day of Christmas, this year like in Japan Candle stealers, sparkle my shine, honey hooks, snatching hands Always people being creepy, little people being creepy Sausage markers taking dealers, steer down the ceiling yogurt Boys never bring a dough buckets, go liquor under the bed My liquor, munching leftovers Smooth liquor spreading germs, stubby munching crust Gully on ceiling, and she complied, messing with it, but she Welcome to the Weird Christmas Podcast, I'm Craig Kringle Krampus is too popular. Once Target's selling decorations with your beloved subversive holiday figure on it, he's not subversive anymore. I know some of you have asked if I'm ever going to do a show on him, and I might one day, but I'm honestly not too psyched up about the idea. Go snag Al Ridenour's book if you're desperate for some cool stories about Krampus runs with some generous history and awesome photography thrown in. But so many other people are doing Krampus things that I feel like he's almost not weird anymore. I was going to say he might have jumped the shark, but then I thought of Krampus riding on Fonzie's bike in that scene, and it was just too cool. So any artists out there, you know what you can make me for Christmas now. But there are plenty of other Christmas characters to mine for that little tingle of the uncanny in your jingle bells. There are all of St. Nick's other companions, like Connect Ruprecht, or Perchta, or Belsnickel, or Zwarte Piet, or Schmutzli, or so many more. But even someone connected to Nick has that Krampus stink, and that's why I've been fascinated lately by Iceland's Yule Lads. You may have heard of them, you may not, but I wanted to do a show about them because, well, I don't really get them. I can't tell whether I'm supposed to look forward to them coming, because, I mean, they do bring gifts, or whether I'm supposed to be scared of them, because they're also all tricksters who are usually known by the pranks they pull, like Skira Gobbler, who will eat all of your skier, which is Icelandic yogurt if you're not lucky. So am I supposed to look forward to them like Santa, or just try to hide from them and keep them away like Krampus? I mean, like if I was a kid in Iceland. I mean, I don't think they're real. Really. Well, I mean, it's complicated. Look, I'm already on record on this show saying I think Santa is a giant magic mushroom in spirit, so there's your context for my sense of reality, but you know what I mean. Or actually, you probably don't because I'm rambling. So let's hear from someone who actually knows what they're talking about. For the Christmas traditions, they come down uh, starting December 12th, and the first one comes down from the mountains. Uh, he's sheepcoat clod. Uh, his Icelandic name is Stekister. And he pretty much likes sheep's milk. And as long as he can get his sheep's milk, he's pretty happy um, and doesn't really cause any trouble. That's Heidi Herman, an author who's written two children's books about the Yule Lads, but also a history of Icelandic folklore and other works about and set in Icelandic culture. She helped me understand first what you're supposed to expect if you know the Yule Lads are coming. Each day, another Yule Lad joins them until by the time you get to December 24th, you have 13 of these Yule Lads hanging out at your house. And then starting on the 25th, they leave one day at a time until all of them are gone, which coincides with January 6th, which is Three Kings Day. But that's that's what makes the entire holiday season in Iceland so interesting is because as they start arriving, if you leave your shoes out, you will get a gift in your shoes, assuming you haven't been bad. So starting with December 12th, by the time it becomes uh, Christmas Day on December 25th, you've already received 13 gifts. So it works out pretty well. 
Seems pretty cool, right? I keep thinking of it like a mix of Christmas and Hanukkah, but instead of eight days of celebration, you get 13, or maybe 26. And apparently, if you're bad, all you have to worry about is maybe getting a potato in your shoe. I think we can all agree, though, that that's better than coal, especially in our little climate-changing world here. But all this fun and generosity isn't totally in character for these guys. In fact, when you look into their actual history, you find out that each one is based on some kind of bad behavior and will punish you or play tricks on you in their own unique ways. So how did they become these fun-loving gift givers that you usually see when you look them up? Heidi had that same question and even wrote her first children's book specifically to address it. My mom, you know, grew up in Iceland, and so she talked about the Yule Lads and, and their mother Grilla and how scary they were way back when, and you definitely didn't want to cross them, and you definitely didn't want to be bad around Christmas time. And so a few years ago, I was in Iceland, and I asked one of my little cousins, who was about four years old, I said, you know, the, the Yule Lads, they used to be pretty scary, and, you know, they they worked with their mom and, you know, made bad kids stew out of little kids who didn't behave and but now they're they just kind of play pranks and and they're not so scary and bad anymore and I said what happened you know how how did they become good she said you know it just they just did they just did (laughs) so I think you know what I grew up in the United States and we like to know the story tell me the story of what happened (laughs) so that's where the legend of the Icelandic Yule Lads came for me is it tells the what if story of what might have happened to take these really scary trolls and turn them into mischievous pranksters that all of a sudden did not terrorize humans anymore. Now, is that an impact that has to do with Christianity coming to Iceland? It could be. I don't know. (laughs) That last point about Christianity coming to Iceland and changing the tradition is certainly possible. But Heidi's book tells a story where it's really more about learning the Christmas spirit of a modern way to celebrate the holiday, and I think that probably makes the most sense, especially if you're going to try to keep kids and parents interested in these legends now. Modern folk just don't do the boogeyman thing too well. But that is a huge jump from what they used to be, because their backstory is downright dark. I asked my internet buddy Benito Sereno to explain that, and I hope you remember that I talked to Benito last year about Christmas comics. He's a comics writer, but he's also obsessed with Christmas and knows more about its international history of legends than any other person I've ever encountered, either actually in person or by reading their work. And here's how he tells their story. Before the Yule Lads themselves, the earliest stories are about their mom, uh, Grilla, the great child-eating ogress, uh, who is not originally associated with Christmas, but eventually uh, does get tied to the Christmas season. She lives out in a cave out in the uh, Dimu Borgir lava fields. And by, uh, I think, the 17th century is when you get the first mention of uh, Grilla tied to Christmas in a poem about her. And I think that's the first place that mentions the Yule Lads, but they don't really fully get uh, codified as into what they would eventually become until quite a bit later. Um, and who was their father? I always forget the the. Yeah, again. the story is that Grilla's had three different husbands, um, and that she, and that she killed and ate the first two for uh, various deficiencies of character. Um, <laughs> the third one, the third one is uh, Lebeludi is his name. Um, he's depicted as being exceptionally lazy, but apparently not enough to force Grilla to murder him. I don't know. So I think, in, I think in most, 
I think in most versions, most or all of the Yule lads are the children of Grilla and Lebeludi. Okay. And um, yeah, and you can find uh, you can find depictions of uh, the mother and father as well. Like they'll do. I I found online some pictures of people in like um, large costumes, you know, walking around the the city in these kind of like bulky. Mm -hmm costumes to look like um giant ogres they're they're typical i mean it's pretty easy to see them coming out on out of uh kind of standard icelandic troll and elf kind of lore they're trolls who live out in the lava fields they're they're typical boogeymen to get children to behave uh you know the the threat is you know be good or you'll end up in grilla's sack and then she'll eat you because there's nothing she likes more than naughty children, of course. Um, to the point where there was actual actual like legislation passed uh, to tell parents that they could not use Grilla and the Yule lads to frighten their children. And it's one of like historic. Oh wow! Like historically, it's like I think it's the first piece of child safety legislation uh, like anywhere on the books. So like the oh that's amazing. The earliest law to protect kids was to tell parents to stop threatening them uh, with Grilla and the Yule lads. Okay, so if you actually needed federal legislation to stop people from terrifying children with Christmas stories, you know you're dealing with some serious nastiness. And I should say that the Yule lads aren't the only potentially terrifying Icelandic Christmas legend that's still around today. Some of you may have heard about the Yule cat, which totally vindicates my feelings towards cats. I have to say. The Yule Cat, of course, which is also tacked on to this whole family, um, despite generally being regarded as a pretty ancient thing, uh, stories of the Yule Cat don't really pop up until about the 19th century, I think, is the earliest written record of the Yule Cat, who, of course, is a giant cat that eats you if you don't get new clothes by Christmas Eve. Which always made me think that it's more punishing the parents than the kids. Yeah, sure. It's one of those things. Um, another one of those boogeyman kind of things where the idea is you're supposed to process the wool that you harvested in the fall and it needs to be done by winter time. There's a similar kind of thing in Germany with the um, figures of uh, Frau Hola and Perkta where they have whole things about spinning where it's um, you have to have all of the, the wool spun into thread by Christmas and then all the thread needs to be woven or knitted or used by epiphany. And, um, the, they would say, you know, however, um, many, uh, rows of thread there were on the spindle by Christmas, you'd have that many years of good luck. And however many rows of thread were left on the spindle by epiphany, you'd have that many years of bad luck. And so it's a Hmm. similar kind of thing where it's like, it's, it's about getting the work done. It's it's using uh, folklore to kind of apply social pressure to make sure people are doing what they're supposed to do. But I didn't know the Yule Cat was actually associated with the Yule Lads and Grilla. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. I thought that was something separate that was just Icelandic. <laughs> um, no, um, typically supposed to be Grilla's cat. Um, and definitely in pop culture, modern association uh, representations of them, they are together. For example, um, probably the most popular uh, modern versions of the Yule, Yule Lads and family are from this uh, English expat uh, illustrator named uh, Brian Wilkington, uh, Pilkington, sorry, Brian Pilkington, who moved to Iceland and has since the 80s been doing children's books about all sorts of Icelandic lore, but especially uh, Christmas stuff. I have his most re- mm-hmm. I have his most recent book, which is about the Yule Cat. Um, it's called the Yule Cat, a seasonal makeover. <laughs> and it is, it's kind of a more lighthearted thing that kind of picture 
pictures, the Yule cat is an old, grizzled, grumpy kind of cat that has the different Yule lads going through and trying to uh, give him a bath and that kind of <laughs> stuff. It's it's pretty cute. There's also a series of figurines that has the whole family. You can get Grilla and her husband, uh, Lebeludi. You can get the 13 Yule lads and the Yule cat, and they're all designed after um, the illustrations of Brian Pilkington. I, ha- I have the Yule cat um, figurine. I, I'm eventually planning on getting the rest, but I only have the one right now. Uh, I keep it up on the mantle next to my uh, Krumpus Funko Pop. Now, I was a little confused about how these scary troll guys got connected to Christmas, because they don't really seem like the same kind of jolly we're all used to at this time of the year. It started out that it's it's like an anti-Santa Claus. Um, In American Christmas folklore, Santa, you know, can hear if you're good or bad, and if you're very good, he'll bring you a toy or a gift. The Yule Lads are kind of the opposite of that. Um, Grilla is this horrible ogre who's got 10 ears on either side of her head and she listens all year round for children who complain or cause trouble or they don't want to do their fair share of the work and you know you have to watch ogres and trolls they can't really go out during the sunshine very much they have to wait till it gets dark so they don't get turned into stone Well, in Iceland, the sun shines for 20 hours a day during the summertime. So pretty much if if you're going to be at risk of getting captured by a troll or an ogre, it's going to happen in the wintertime. So that's gradually how I think Gorilla became associated with Christmas is because that's kind of the darkest time of the year. So she uses her 13 troll-like children to come down from the mountains and steal bad kids, uh, lazy kids who don't help with their chores or they complain too much. And she is known for making her bad kids stew. So it's a, it's a little bit of that Hansel and Gretel type of folklore. So the bad kids get stolen and they get put up in little cages up in the mountains, wait until they fatten up and then they get made into bad kids too. Uh, so that's, that's kind of how it happened. Um, they live in a, a part of Iceland called Dimmaborger, means dark fortress. It's way up in the mountains of, um, volcanic rock. But for many years, it was, it was terrifying. Um, and so over time, they kind of toned them down a little bit. Um, it wasn't until the 20th century that they actually, the, the oral telling of the story kind of changed enough where as long as you're not bad, you don't necessarily have to be real good. Just as long as you're not bad, then you'll get a little uh, gift or toy in your shoe. Now, if you're bad, you're going to get a rotten potato. So, but at least you're not going to get drug off to be made into bad kids stew anymore. So what do they actually do to you? Turns out that each one has his own distinct personality. This isn't like Eight Reindeer, where nobody really knows any of them, except for Rudolph, you know, who's deliberately marketed to us. I mean, which ones of the reindeer are supposed to even be male or female? Who's the leader? Which one's the jock, the nerd, the beauty queen, the basket case? Wait, no. Point is, they don't have a character, and Rankin-Bass TV specials don't count. But with the Yule Lads, each guy really does have a personality, like a purpose, and something to look out for. And it's all very clearly laid out in their legends and in the writing about them. So it's uh, by the late 18th century, I think, that you start getting the codified 
number of like 13 Yule lads. And before that, there might be more, there might be less, there might be some Yule lasses in there, but uh, it's, it gets kind of codified as 13 in a poem there. And then you've got uh, folk tales being collected in the 19th century. Um, 1862, John Arneson or Jan, probably Jan Arneson um, collects stories of the Yule lads. And then, um, but the real thing that really like the thing that's the, the, uh, the twas the night before Christmas of the Yule lads is this poem um, by a poet named Johannes or Kutlum uh, that he wrote a book uh, called Christmas is coming. And in that it has the poem, the Yule lads it's from 1932. That's the one that really nails down like the 13 brothers and what their names are, what their characteristics are, what they do, the order that they come and so on uh, like that. By the way, here's just a little bit of the original poem. Let me tell the story of the lads of few charms who once upon a time used to visit our farms. They came from the mountains, as many of you know, in a long single file to the farmsteads below. Grilla was their mother. She gave them ogre milk and their father, Lepaludi, a loathsome ilk. Okay, so let's get to it. Heidi and Benito were both willing to walk me through all 13 characters, and I'll let Heidi handle the Icelandic pronunciation of their names. Um, on December 12th, the first one to arrive is Stekister. He's sheep coat clad, and he likes to uh, drink sheep's milk. One thing to know is that some of the lads' English names are a bit wonky and have changed over time and in different areas. So if you look up the Yule lads on the internet, you'll probably find some variations in the English translations of their names. But the overall traits are pretty well set in stone. Sheepcoat Claude, though, probably has the most interesting alternate name. The Pilkington book that I have here um, translates the first one as uh, Sheep Warrior rather than Sheepcoat Claude, which... Um, sheep warrior I actually like sheep warrior yeah it's it's pretty pretty good although i've heard that term used to mean something else um <laughs> so but we'll let that one go before we get too deep though it should be pretty clear that the kinds of pranks they threaten are honestly from another time i mean the first two are definitely based on the idea of you living on a farm right sheep coat clod the idea is mm -hmm. he'll he'll sneak in at night and he'll he'll suck all the milk out of the sheep in the sheep pen and then, and right. then Gully Gawk um, will hide in a gully until the barn maid isn't looking, and then he'll rush in and steal all the milk from the cows. Most of the other ones ki mostly hold up because you know people are still cooking and they have bowls and they have pots and they mm -hmm. eat sausage or whatever, you know. And those things are those things still make sense. Okay, so with that in mind, let's get to the rest of them. December thirteenth is Gilliger. Um, he's better known as Gully Gawk, and he usually hides down in the gullies and um, chases the cows because he likes cow's milk. I think today's world in the United States, we're probably more concerned about he's the one who leaves the milk carton empty in the refrigerator. That's who I would blame. Uh, December 14th is Stufer. Um in English, we probably would refer to him as stubby. He's very, very small and likes to run around the kitchen and swipes all kinds of things. December 15th is Thurus Laker. He's known as Spoon Licker. And anytime you have a missing spoon, 
he's probably the one who did it because he loves to steal the spoons and lick them. December 16th is Pataskaifil, pot scraper. And he does exactly what it sounds like. He likes to scrape off the baked on bits um, in the pots and pans. December 17th is Askasklaker. He's bowl licker. A lot of times he's the one who will lick clean all the pet bowls and uh, constantly s- stealing food from dogs and cats. December 18th is Hertha Skettler, door slammer. Um, he's definitely responsible for all the thumps and bumps and squeaky things that go on in the middle of the night. December 19th is Skirgummer, Skirgobbler. Uh, skier in Iceland is sort of a uh, yogurt. It's a uh, heavy cheese and he definitely will empty out all of that from the refrigerator. December 20th is Bukna Krygir. He's sausage swiper. December 21st is Glugagayir, window peeper. If he sees anything sparkly or shiny or pretty at all and he, he will definitely come back and swipe it. So around Christmas time, all the sparkly stuff, if you see stuff disappearing, you probably have a visit from Glugagayir. December 22nd is Gata Thiever, door sniffer. Um, he will steal cookies and cakes and anything that smells good. He's got a huge nose and he can smell good stuff from miles away. December 23rd is Keta Croker, meat hook. December 24th is Keta Sneaker, Candle Beggar. Um, years ago in Iceland, it used to be that candles were made out of, um, like whale fat and things that were actually edible. So Candle Beggar would come in and steal candles constantly. I think in today's world, as long as we avoid the really nice smelling candles, you're probably safe. Now you can see their pranks aren't too bad for the most part. They're even, you know, kind of endearing, and both Benito and Heidi have a soft spot for a few of them. My favorite is probably Bukna Krygir. He's sausage swiper, and I'm just a big fan of sausage. So if I were going to have a favorite Yule lad that I could blame stuff on, uh, he would he would probably be mine. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the easiest one to understand maybe is uh, Spoon Licker, uh, who is the I think the fourth the fourth one who shows up. Um, the idea is he just likes to lick all the leftover batter and stuff off of the spoon that from mixing up you know cookies and cakes and whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as a result, since that's the only thing he eats, he's very thin. So I think probably uh, the one that I've really latched onto is uh skier gobbler uh because i like skier first of all um it's that it's yogurt basically you can get it in america there's only a few brands where you can get it uh i think siggy's is the most popular brand but it's really good and uh, so i just always liked my motto around the christmas season is skier in trolls out (laughs) skier in trolls out so um, skier gobbler I can definitely empathize with as I find skier to be delicious. Now in the end, there isn't one story or event that changed them from mean, scary trolls to generous pranksters. 
It has more to do with attitudes changing over time, but the fun thing about the Yule Lads is that they're still somewhere between saintliness, like good old Saint Nick, or the full-on terror Krampus. And that's something that Heidi stresses is important in a lot of Icelandic legends. Well, in in today's folklore, uh, they definitely are more mischievous, uh, playing tricks. Um, they're not terrifying or wicked, and they've they've pretty much parted companies with the evil ogre mom. Uh, Grilla is still very much a part of Icelandic mythology as far as being like the the boogeyman, um, and you still need a, a healthy respect of her. Um, but the Yule lads um, don't really work with her anymore. Um, yeah, I think some of that ties into uh, what Icelandic folklore has really meant to me overall. Um, I've, in addition to the Yule lads, I've researched and done a couple other books on Icelandic folklore, and I'm always surprised that it's so different than some of the other. Um, cultural stories that you see where the princess is always beautiful and the prince is always brave and evil is always ugly and good always triumphs over evil. I I like Icelandic folklore because it's not always like that. Um, Sometimes you find that trolls aren't really all that bad and they can have a good side. And sometimes, you know, the something beautiful is actually something evil in disguise. And, you know, you need to be accepting and tolerant of all creatures because you all share the same country and, you know, you have the same cultural ties. So I, I think it's it's great lessons to look at things from a, a positive and, and supportive sort of way, even though it is weird to think that, you know, it's not Santa Claus and, and the good and, you know, all the gifts and that, you know, we're dealing with trolls and just trying not to be bad. But it's still, it's, it's a great lesson. So these guys aren't just another kind of Santa or Saint Nick or Father Christmas or Père Noel or the German Weihnachtsmann. The Yule Lads really are their own special kind of winter gift bringers. You aren't so easily categorized into a good or evil column. Maybe some of my confusion about them was actually the point. And maybe that's a better way to think about this time of the year, too. Santa and Saint Nick and all their goody-goodiness are all about trying to take our minds off the darkness and the cold this time of year. But in Iceland, it sounds like they're more about embracing it, taking some of the bad with the good. I mean, sure, you want more gifts than rotten potatoes in your shoes, but the trolls are still out there, and you do have to be wary of them. In some ways, that seems like a more honest way to look at the world. You can't have, you know, summer without winter. can't have St. Nick without Krampus. And you can't have an Icelandic Christmas without some trolls. When it comes to their chances of catching on over here, though, I'm still kind of skeptical, though Benito thinks they might actually have a shot. Possibly. They certainly haven't had the full market penetration of, uh, of Krampus, but I feel like... They- I feel like they're up there because I because I feel like it's a pretty easy sell to be like, did you know in Iceland Christmas it, they have thirteen trolls that come and they they make your life hell for thirteen <laughs> days and also their cat will eat you, um, so that's that one's a pretty easy elevator pitch and so I, I can see why why they would use them in Slayer why they got used why they've been used in uh, Grant Morrison's Klaus comic as well, um, so. Uh, I, I think they're up there, but I don't think I don't think they've had that breach into full American popular consciousness yet. Um, yeah, I, but I, I think I think they have a real potential. Yeah. 
At the very least, if they do start showing up in US ads or on TV specials, you are prepared and you know what pranks to look out for. Your good friend Craig Kringle is looking out for you and providing you with all the necessary holiday knowledge you need. Or something. At the very least, if you hear about Sheep Warrior, you'll know he's not doing that. Thanks again to Heidi Herman and Benito Sereno for taking time to talk to me. Links to their sites and the books are all on the notes for this episode at weirdchristmas.com. And thank you for listening. If you had a good time or learned something, please consider leaving me a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you send me a note through social media or email me to let me know you did it, I'll mail you a hand-picked postcard in the style of the old weird Victorians who like showing pictures of frogs murdering each other with Merry Christmas written underneath it. My email's weirdxmas at gmail.com. And just last night, someone sent me a note with their review, and I really like what she said, so I'm going to read this one. If you are over Christmas, this is just the show to fire up your love of the season once again. There's nothing elf like it. She might get two cards for such a bad good pun. And speaking of cards, follow me on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, or Facebook, where I spew out card after card of vintage weirdness. For the last couple of days, I've had a lot of fun on Tumblr because I asked if anyone had any requests for old cards with any animals or activities. You know, kind of like a challenge to see if you could stump me. What's amazing, though, is that some of the requests that would seem easy are super hard, like penguins or sheep. I can't find a single Victorian card with penguins. But another person asked for a card with someone dying of hypothermia, and I knew right away what to send. I have strange hobbies. And next time, folk, next time will be the Flash Fiction Contest results show. I finally narrowed down the over 600 stories to an even 14. The two winners and a dozen honorable mentions. Now it's just about piecing some things together, but that's the highlight of the season, and everyone will finally know the results on Friday. Please don't forget, too, that I'm trying Patreon this year. Patreon is a site where you can donate a small monthly amount, like two bucks, for extra content from me. That means extra episodes of the podcast, longer versions of the interviews, sometimes just random fun, and I've even been trying my hand at little videos over there. I'm also sending out real physical cards to people there, too. So please check out patreon.com slash weirdchristmas. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash weirdchristmas. The money helps me pay for the sites and the hosting, and if I can get a few more subscribers, then maybe next year I can offer more and bigger prizes for the contest, which means more and possibly even better stories. I think that's it. So now I get to go work on the contest show, unless that rare 14th Yule Lad hard drive wiper came around. I'll go check my shoes. But until next time, which will be very, very soon, don't let Don't Santa let Santa stuff you in his bulging, sweaty sack! The best thing about that is the kid in the background right at the very end. Man, you guys are some terrible parents, and I'm honored that you listen to me. Smooth like a spread and turn stubby Munch and crust, butt on ceiling Milk and cheap coat, hot, blessed and go get the sheep